mindfulness is big business. And uh, I was in California for the last, like, I guess 10 days, and uh, in Los Angeles, and, and that's the center of some big business. And mindfulness is one of those big businesses. And everybody is teaching it. And uh, they teach stress-based, uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction that's, that we see more often up here, that's out of Boston and out of uh, Wisconsin, the universities. But now UCLA has their own, they call it something else, but it's their own mindfulness training you can take. And after you take the training, you can take, get certification to be a teacher which takes a couple of years to do and is very expensive. Uh, and there's every kind of group and every kind of program that you can imagine in Los Angeles and, uh, and the surrounding areas. And while I was there, I was visiting a good friend. I used to live in LA way, too, way, way long ago. Uh, she's a yoga teacher, so she invited some yoga students and I did a meditation workshop. And we ended up having more people than even signed up. So we had about 20 people. And they were all from the UCLA area. Very, uh, really bright, educated people. And uh, they were so hungry for what I was talking about. It, it almost surprised me. Because I'm thinking, this is a this is a place where all you have to do is reach your hand out, and you can, you know, find something new and interesting and uh, and old to go to. But people were really hungry for what I was talking about, and a lot of them had uh, about half the group said they had a meditation practice, but it was probably connected with their yoga or. Uh, or they had a meditation practice, but they had the same questions that people have all the time. I mean, it doesn't matter if we're in, I guess, the paradise of everything available from New Age to, to uh, every spiritual teaching you can imagine. It, it doesn't matter where we are. People are still looking for their own, uh, their own way to find peace and to feel connected in this world. And they're all looking for the same things. And what I realized was, for that group of people, they, they knew a lot about mindfulness, but they did, it still wasn't make, that mindfulness alone wasn't making their lives come together. It wasn't giving them the whole picture. It wasn't making, it wasn't answering a lot of their questions. And they're still, they had questions about what do I do with uh, pain that I just found out I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. And what do I do about situations with, uh, you know, a life that's too busy and too full of everything. And what do I do about my kids? And what do I do with a marriage that, uh, you know, economically was really valuable and now the marriage is gone. and. You know, I'm living in a city where it's hard to it's hard not to have money to live in. So it was uh, kind of an eye opener for me. And what I thought about a lot and looked at a lot is how important it is. And what I saw from that 
the talk I gave and the meditation we did, how important it is that when we talk about mindfulness, and it's being packaged now, you know, it's being sold, it's in commercials, it's in schools, it's in, it's in everything. But what people are hungry for is not just mindfulness, but all the, all the legs of it that make it have some meaning in our lives. So they, what they're looking for is, is what we talk about when we talk about the Eightfold Path. <clears throat> and when we talk about the Four Truths, the Four Noble Truths. So people are not, there's a, there's a lack of understanding in their, their effort to make sense of the world. <clears throat> and that lack of understanding is from a lack of even right view. Uh, so, I started my talk there with uh, talking about this practice, this meditation practice, is a universal practice. Uh, because I didn't know where people were coming from in their spiritual past, and they all, a lot of them had strong uh, religious backgrounds or paths. And I said, this is not about Buddhism. This is a, this is a universal practice. And what we ended up talking about most of the time was what we would think of as the basic teachings of Buddhism. Because in addition to the, just the bare bones practice of meditation, we, and our meditation emphasizes loving kindness and mindfulness and insight, the questions people have are about the suffering in their lives, the problems in their lives. The questions are about how do I, what, does my, what am I being mindful about? And what does mindfulness, how does that transform my life? So what they really want to know is about uh, what we call right view. And they want to know about, uh, they want to know about the ethics and the morality of how to live their life. And those are the things that all feed into mindfulness and tell us uh, what, what our mindfulness needs to be about. So if we're very mindful, we could become really great safe crackers. What are they say? Is it a safe cracker? That doesn't sound right. We could, <laughs> we could become uh, serial killers. You know, we, like Dexter, he's very mindful. I, I've only seen a few Dexter shows, but you know, he's very mindful in, in everything he does. And uh, we, could become, we could become way, way off what we think of as <clears throat> what we, we, because we're sitting here, we have, a, we have mindfulness practice that's, that's fed by all the different parts of the Eightfold Path. So we already have uh, probably changed our view about the world based on the Four Noble Truths, and we begin to see that, that suffering is part of this world and there's something we can do about it and there's a, there is a path out of it. So we learn that we can begin to let go of suffering. We still experience pain. We still experience difficult times. But we learn that a lot of the times our thinking and our mind are creating the suffering. We don't have to carry the suffering along with it. And that's, the, that's what people want to, want to ask questions about. That's what they want to hear. So 
what's the difference between pain and suffering? And, and how can you say I don't have to be suffering because I'm going through these horrible things? So the things that I take for granted that people understand, I, because I've been at Blue Lotus for a long time, I realize that other people are, that other people are really hungry for the most basic things. Uh, I, would, I talked about we letting go of stories and people really wanted to know, what do you mean let go of stories, let go of our stories? And, and it, it, was, it was wonderful. You could see people's eyes just opening up. Oh, oh, that's what you're talking about. And they suddenly had a whole different perspective of what we talk about when we, in meditation, when we talk about relaxing and letting go. And, Watching, watching those thoughts come up, but don't, don't let those thoughts become stories that distract us and take us away. Just watch the thoughts, but let go of the stories and notice how the thoughts come and go, come and go. So if we're only looking at mindfulness, we're only looking at a piece of the picture. Mindfulness is one of the parts of the Eightfold Path. But what we're developing here, and I think it's just as universal, is we're, we're looking at all the parts. We're looking at right livelihood, right action, right speech, and we're looking at concentration and right mindfulness and right effort and right, help me God. <laughs> and right view and right intention. So we're looking at all of those things, and if we don't have all of them, and those are those three, three legs to the three-legged stool, if we don't have ethics and morality, and we don't have our practice, our sitting practice, that gives us, that where we learn, learn mindfulness and, and we work on concentration, and if we don't have, uh, what did I talk about? if we don't have our right uh, ethics and values and we don't have our right practice, then the wisdom and the insight that arises for us is not going to be there. And it's that insight and that wisdom that also feeds back into mindfulness. So then we know we can be, we can be mindful and watching and paying attention to what's going on right here, right now. But, we're, but it's also, we're thinking back to our past experience and we're thinking back and we're thinking of this current experience and we're bringing in uh, all of those other parts of the path to to teach us in our mindfulness from our own experience and our own mindfulness we're constantly being taught and that and that what we're learning is how to go forward and how to let go of the past and how to see each moment as a new, a new experience and a new opportunity for bringing all of this other in. We can't look at a situation and not uh, bring in our own sense of values and the sense of ethics that we're developing. When we talk about the precepts, that's what we're talking about developing. Because we can, we can misread any experience and we have we have the right view that we learn when we when we study the truth, and that's anything that's absolutely true. 
And we, we study the teachings of the Buddha because our belief from our experience of reading and studying is that he was, he was discovering for himself some very basic, profound truths about the nature of reality. So that's, those are some of the views of truth that we are carrying with us. So when we're experiencing the world, we can check it out. Our, mindful, our mindfulness is not just, I'm looking at this moment, I'm also checking it out with what, with what, I've, with what I've learned and what I've studied. I'm checking out each moment to see, does this work, does this make sense? Do those teachings work for me in this moment? Uh, in this moment, can I, can I see myself letting go of suffering? Can I recognize pain and know the difference? Can I drop stories and not, uh, not twist this moment into something painful or into uh, you know, a reminder of something bad from the past where I got really tangled up in emotions? Um, when, we, when we were sitting this morning, I, th I thought this is what my, my uh, story was. I felt something on my head. So my story immediately was, it's probably a fly. And so my natural tendency would be to brush it away. Then I thought, no, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to just, I'm going to, that's a story. And I didn't hear a fly. I didn't, you know, I didn't, and, and if it was a fly, I don't think it was going to do anything to me. So. I just thought, I'm, I'm sitting with it, I'm watching it. I, I don't have to think, ooh, it's a nasty, dirty fly that's gonna throw up on my head. <laughs> and try to, you know, really go after it. And then, and then it went away, I watched it. I watched that feeling, it's kind of a little creepy feeling, but I watched it, and it wasn't a fly, I don't even think. But I watched that, that I could feel it, I wanted to do something about it, and I just sat with it. And I thought, that, all those things are stories. And it went away. And I didn't even recognize the instant that that went away. But then a few minutes later, there was something on my ear. <laughs> so then I thought, ooh, that might be a mosquito. <laughs> if that's a mosquito, it's going to bite me. And I really don't like mosquito bites, so... Maybe, maybe this time I'm going to have to like go ahead and do something about it. And I thought, no, wait a minute. That's, I didn't hear a mosquito in my ear. So I thought, okay, I'm going to sit with that and see. And that was a little harder to sit with because I really don't like mosquitoes. So, and I have a lot of stories about mosquitoes. So um, I sat with that one. And that was much harder to sit with it because, you know, I, had, I could go on and on about mosquitoes. Don't get me started. <laughs> so I sat with that, and 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 that also that whole that entire feeling of it being a mosquito crawling around on my ear. Before I knew it, that went away too. But it was very hard to resist my story. Yeah, I really wanted to get rid of it, and and I'm sure it was nothing. It was just you know something arising. So. It was very good for me to remember in that moment my teaching that, that these are stories. These are stories. The worst thing that's going to happen is a little mosquito bite, which I would be very unhappy about. But it was probably a story to begin with. And I was going to watch what happened, how much worse the pain got because of my story. Uh, 
and I was going to see if I even, I wanted to see it go away. And of, and of course, it, it went away, and I had to go, oh, it already, it's already gone. Because my mind was already somewhere else, even though I was really focused on that. So my mindfulness was informed with the teachings. I was able to think about, oh, look what I'm doing. Look at the stories I'm cranking out just because of a little tickle on my ear. And because we were sitting here in practice, I had the opportunity to really watch that. So mindfulness is great, but it only takes on a quality of being a really powerful teacher for me if I'm bringing in what, I, what I'm learning, what I know, what I know is truth, what I'm testing out, the ahipasiko, you know, come and see. I'm investigating all of these truths that the Buddha taught and that's, I was investigating that one. So that, that is what we need when we're practicing mindfulness. We need the Eightfold Path because that's what we're carrying with us from moment to moment until it becomes second nature, which might take a long time for most of us, including myself. But um, that, was, that was a big discovery for me this week. And, uh, I was looking online for some, I'm, I'm trying to, there are several, a couple of people who came to me and, and have asked about how to work with meditation with chronic pain. And, uh, you know, other than, than a few very simple answers, which, are, which I realize are very helpful for people who've never, who've never been able to ask anyone that question exactly about their experience of that pain and their fear with the pain and their the stories, you know, what they can talk, talk to me about that they probably don't even talk to their doctor about. And what I know without them even telling me, they have pain, but they have a lot of stories about the pain. <clears throat> the doctor doesn't know if I'll ever get, if it'll ever get better. Uh, you know, it, it may take six months to a year, but then it may never get better. So there's a lot of fear because of the stories about whatever it is. How will this affect my life? How will this affect? And it, you know, it, it's, it just keeps going and going. So I can't tell them how to eliminate the pain, but I can talk to them about a way to begin letting go of the stories, a way to just, to just come back and experience the pain. And be, and be very aware of that pain, where it is, where exactly what it feels like, where it's coming from in the body. Uh, but letting go of the stories, and just that alone gives people relief. Because, you know, we all know if you're waiting for a diagnosis of something, waiting for the doctor to call is the worst possible time. Once the doctor calls and tells you it's bad news or it's good news, you know, the path ahead is more clear. But it's, that, it's, that, it's the stories that, we, that are there and we can't get rid of those stories. So this practice helps us deal with the stories and those stories and our fear that, that the, you know, the stories keep the fear going and the anxiety and the worry. So, as, as soon as we can begin to work with those stories, things are always 
You know, we can, the pain may be something we can deal with. So uh, I think that's a, that's a big part of mindfulness. And so uh, it's, it's very important. We teach this is a universal practice. Anyone can practice meditation. It never has to interfere with someone's religion or their, their spiritual practice because we're always teaching about the, the noble qualities of loving kindness and compassion and appreciative joy and equanimity. We're, we're, any spiritual path will teach that. But our mindfulness is, uh, is much, much richer because we bring in parts of that path. So that's what I wanted to share. If anyone has any questions or comments, yeah. I, I was just reading something about this subject, so I'm so glad you brought it up. And, and I just thought, like, it's as you meditate, you do become more effective. And then the question is, effective at what? Right. You know, and, and for me, I, I hope that it's, you know, loving kindness, but it's like you could use it for any of the things that you said. Yes. You can use it to develop mindfulness to be greedy. Yeah. Mindfulness with attachments, mindfulness, you know, if you're just looking at straight mindfulness. And we're doing, we're working with the opposite qualities. Yeah, Jason. No, I just wanted to mention that um, one of the big authors for uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction is John Kevin And he wrote the book, uh, Full Catastrophe Living. Uh -huh. He writes a lot of stuff about how how patients, well, he, he used to work in the hospital, and uh, one of the, if I remember correctly, one of the chapters in his book is devoted to you know, his patients that had pain issues. So, if anybody's interested, John Kevin's in this. Oh, good. Uh, what's the title of that book again? I always so, forget. Catastrophe okay, good. He also wrote uh, Wherever You Go, There You Are. It's like a bestseller. Yeah, he's the, he began mindfulness-based stress reduction. And and is a Buddhist. Yes. So. Well, I, I don't know if he'd say that to you, but he's, 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 he likes, he's, he's into mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> he's trained in his own. Uh, exactly. In, in his own. Yeah, so I think the way he teaches it, it's imbued with those yeah. other qualities. Yeah, thank you for about the book. Jim. Yeah, when we practice um, meditation like you led us today, first of all, uh, we, we do the loving kindness, right? And followed by putting our attention on our breath in a mindful way. So, um, the, would you say that the loving kindness practice is kind of separate from the mindfulness practice with the breath and maybe just putting us in the right attitude, something like that? I think the reason, the reason that we do it first and move into mindfulness because loving kindness practice really works with our emotions <clears throat> so it calms us down and it, and it gets our body in a really good place to go into to a mindfulness practice. So one thing I found uh, one of my challenges with mindfulness is during the loving kindness practice, staying with it. So staying with the practice of the loving kindness and the thinking of thoughts and things like that. Yeah. That itself requires for me it's a challenge 
stay mindful. And do that. And even when we're be mindful of the drug. Exactly. And, you know, loving-kindness practice was something that a lot of the people in the workshop I did had not practiced before. And it's a very powerful practice. I, I always think loving-kindness is, uh, is, is, is such a wonderful part of our practice because it transforms us even without us recognizing it. So it really, to me, it really gets under our minds, you know? It's, it's doing its thing. It feels good. It feels good, yeah, Susan. Um, well, I, uh, I can identify with what you said about the painfulness because I had a, an experience a few years back where I had a lot of pain. Unfortunately, I did not have this practice to help me through it. Um, so I was pretty miserable. <laughs> um, but yesterday I had a um, situation where I had to um, use my mindfulness. And I forgot just temporarily. And I started having stories. And then all of a sudden I thought, no, my practice, my practice. And it was extremely hard to do. <laughs> but I did it. And I mean, I'm just so used to running to the phone and calling people and for support. Yeah. And that's fine, but I just used my practice. And I, I'm i proud of myself. <laughs> I'm actually amazed that I got through last night without, you know, I got through it on my own. And that's kind of a thing for me. But it took mindfulness to do the practice. I mean, I had to really, really concentrate on it. Right. Yeah. It's not easy. No. And our tendency is to fall back on Fall back. Especially yeah. in that time of stress, those moments of great stress, what we always do is want, we want to fall back on what's most familiar, most comfortable, <clears throat> most automatic. Right. And I mean, if there's someone that can make stories, I miss. <laughs> I mean, I could write movies. <laughs> so it takes, I mean, it took serious mindfulness just to stay in the moment and just let it be. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Uh huh. It's helpful and reassuring to hear that, you know, you, as someone who dedicated your life to the practice, still has. You know, the issues with the stories and the monthly <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's helpful to me because I've only been doing this a couple months and, I, and it's wonderful, but I get very off on tangents, so good to know. Yeah, we all do. We're lying if we don't. <laughs> if we don't play so. Yeah, it's very important to remember monastics are just regular people. We just take taken a different vocational path. <laughs> okay, thank you everybody.